I'm Robert Rogers, and this is Parkinson's Recovery. Do I have a very special treat for you today? Many of you listening to my show today may be familiar with Dr. John Coleman. He's from Australia. John had the symptoms of Parkinson's at a very advanced stage in the mid-1990s, 1995. He, over the course of three and a half years, pursued a number of different therapies and modalities and wound up with a full recovery at the end of that period. Many people know John as their doctor and receive consultations from him. He also has a 12-step program, and I know many of you have been participants in his 12-step program. So you know John as your doctor as a person who's providing suggestions to you for what you might be able to do to get relief from your own symptoms. How many of you, though, really know John as John, as a person who really experienced the journey of uh, confronting the symptoms of Parkinson's and then recovering from those? This interview is a truth in telling. I asked John a whole series of questions about what really happened to him in his recovery program. And as you will soon discover, he answered each and every question truthfully, honestly, and authentically. He is indeed an amazing man and an inspiration to us all. John, thank you so much for agreeing to join us today. It's an absolute pleasure, Robert. It's lovely to speak with you again. Tell us about your history with Parkinson's. Well, Robert, in, in retrospect, I can tell that I had a long journey of developing symptoms. I actually can recognize some symptoms from my mid-teens, and particularly through my 20s when I started to develop uh, an intermittent tremor, and I had a lot of trouble with stiffness in my hip and back and neck. And I tended to ignore these symptoms, as you do when, when we're young. Uh, I went to a chiropractor occasionally, but uh, most of the time I just told my body to do what I wanted it to do. I tended to be uh, a busy, uh, high-achiever type person, worked uh, two or three jobs at a time, um, brought up a family, renovated a household at the same time. But I had a number of very stressful times in my life and I know that symptoms tended to escalate there. For instance, during my older son's illness and subsequent death in 1983, uh, the separation of my first marriage, uh, I was unemployed for some time. And during these periods, I knew that, that my body was rebelling uh, but didn't want to take any notice of physical symptoms. Uh, I was a cigarette smoker for 43 years. Now, um, that may make me seem very old, but I actually started when I was nine years old. Um, one of the things in my background is a very abusive childhood, and I tried to commit suicide when I was nine and failed, so I started smoking, and that helped to build a smoke screen. But we know that nicotine disguises the onset of Parkinson's. It, it makes it appear as if we're actually less symptomatic than we are. So when I stopped smoking in 1995 and my body lost that nicotine support, 
1995, I collapsed and it was just impossible for me to ignore my body any longer. So you were in pretty bad shape in 1995 in terms of symptoms? Yes, I was. I was in a state of total meltdown. Uh, I was unable to walk more than uh, three to five meters and I needed support. Uh, I fell often. Um, I had very, very severe tremor. Um, I was not sleeping. Uh, in a lot of pain, uh, my face was frozen, I was um, dribbling from my mouth uh, uncontrollably, I was incontinent, constipated, uh, had positive movement, rigidity, it was difficult for me to get up from a chair, I froze, you know, I'd, I'd be walking and trying to turn a corner and I'd, I couldn't, I'd just freeze on the spot, so there were a lot of very bad things happening to me, which I realised, thinking back, had been coming on over a long time, but I'd ignored them. How did you come to the realisation that you could get better when all indications were that you would get worse? I didn't know. Um, I had no indication that I could get better what I knew was that I had to make each day better than the last because I couldn't survive the way I was. I, so I just set about achieving something every day. Survival was a good thing each day. Because frankly, Robert, I thought I was dying. Um, as did many people around me. And I knew it was my responsibility to make a choice, to fade away or to make each day better. No one else could do it for me and there was no one else around who was willing to do it for me. So I just survived each day and did the best I could and I kept journals and over a long period of time I started to see, reading my journals, that I was actually making improvements in my health, in my health, and that gave me some hope to try and make this day a bit better than the last, and so on. There's so much out there about what is supposed to help, vitamins, supplements, body therapy, you name it. How did you go about deciding what to try in terms of therapies or supplements or doctors or exactly what to do? Uh, trial and error, Robert, and mainly error. Um, I was or was becoming aware of how my body responded to various remedies and therapies. Uh, I had a history with chiropractors and osteopaths, so I was aware of that sort of response. Um, and so what I did was try one thing at a time made one change and observed what happened and then changed another thing. I was also studying naturopathy so that I was aware of the complementary health theory of dealing with degeneration. So I tried things like vitamin C, vitamin E, coenzyme Q10, 
pycnogenol, etc. And um, gave myself a time frame with each one uh, so that I would try for a period of time and make some observations. If you like, I was a research population of one for myself. Um, and I was working for a major hospital at the time here in Melbourne uh, as an operating theatre technician. So I had access to the hospital medical library and I did an enormous amount of research there with the cooperation of the hospital staff who were very kind to me. And I examined hundreds of uh, abstracts and uh, full studies trying to find anything that would say to me, this will help. Um, so I just kept on trying and trying and trying until I found some things that helped me improve my health. That's fascinating. So it sounds like the approach really was to be methodical and sequential so that you would try one and see what the effect was and then move on to something else rather than uh, selecting a bunch of 10 or 15 different things to do all at the same time? Yeah, look, that ideally, yes. Uh, I, I wasn't always logical and sometimes jumped from one thing to another. Uh, one of the things in my favour, although it didn't seem so at the time, was that I was pretty much broke. Um, it quickly became apparent that I had to sell my... Uh, the little house that I had uh, just to pay for therapies and <clears throat> I w wasn't earning much money. I just had to try one thing at a time generally because that's all I could afford and that was a good thing. Which therapies or approaches that you tried really did not work for you? Well, there were a lot. Um, in, in general, any form of body work that was firm or hard, so, um, you know, deep massage, sports massage, um, those sorts of massages created extra pain. Vigorous therapies like chiropractic and uh, other manipulative therapies also tended to increase my symptoms and create pain. Um, excessive intake of nutritional supplements tended to have either no effect or make me nauseous or simply be a waste of money. Um, I had to be very careful about homeopathic remedies because the normal approach uh, in selecting potencies and frequencies seem to aggravate me where a very gentle approach, very cautious approach worked. Many counselling modalities helped. Psychiatry did not. Um, now I'm sure there are good psychiatrists out there but I saw four and none of them helped me at all. Antidepressant therapy didn't work. I chose not to take pharmaceuticals, but I took other forms of herbal, vitamin, homeopathic antidepressants and realised that I actually wasn't depressed. Um, I was certainly anxious, but these antidepressant therapies were just no good for me. I needed to be active and proactive in my approach. 
Um, in general, anything that was too hard, too vigorous, um, too enthusiastic uh, didn't work, and gentle, cautious, loving therapies worked. What has helped you get the most relief from your symptoms? This is very hard to define um, individually because it really is a whole package. What I did was focus on uh, improving my health in every possible way, it's physically, emotionally, mentally and spiritually. So I intuitively knew that this whole package approach was the only way I was going to get out of the hellhole I was in at the time. I knew it was up to me to change and I had to change virtually everything and make every aspect of my life better. And as I did that, the symptoms faded. I did not focus on symptoms. I looked at what was in my life that needed to be changed and worked with that. Then the symptoms slowly disappeared. Are you cured? No. Um, I don't believe in cure. And no, I'm not cured, but I have recovered my health. And it's a very different thing. Um, I've chosen to live a life that is healthy and loving, and the reward for that is that my body displays good health. As a naturopath doctor, do you cure people with Parkinson's? No, I don't cure anybody of anything. And nobody can cure Parkinson's disease, and I certainly can't. However, I can use my experience and research and the research from elsewhere around the world to guide other people diagnosed with Parkinson's into a healthier lifestyle that if they are dedicated to that process may enable them to uh, recover their health and will certainly improve their health and their quality of life. What does your own neurologist say about your situation and your remission from symptoms? The professor of neurology who saw me in 1995 and 1996 um, apologized for his treatment of me some five years after my recovery. And then after he retired from practice, uh, I approached him to speak at a meeting of the Neuro Recovery Foundation and he called back to congratulate me on my health and on the work I was doing, uh, but chose not to speak and has chosen not to speak publicly about my experience or my recovery. You talk a lot about many things that people can do uh, in your book, Stop Parking and Start Living. Do you do all of those things yourself? I do most of them. Now, we have to recognize that Stop Parking and Start Living was written for people who uh, are in the throes of Parkinson's disease. I now have no symptoms. Yet I still choose to do most of the things. So I meditate daily. I start my day with meditation. I 
exercise daily. Uh, I use affirmations and mirror talk to assure myself of my own power and beauty. Uh, my wife, Nicole, and I spend a lot of time laughing, and I look for humour in what I do and in my daily life. Um, we eat a very healthy diet, as I've outlined in the book, that is no wheat, no dairy, um, a high intake of vegetables and fish and avocado and those sorts of foods, a good protein intake. I take the Aquas still, but I only take Aquas twice a week now. I feel that's enough for what I require in my healthy state. Uh, I take some basic nutritional supplements to make up for deficiencies in our food supply. Uh, and I choose to live a life that has times of rest and reflection, time for me to spend in the garden, time for me to just sit and be. So yes, I do most of the things in Stop Parking and Start Living uh, because I choose to be healthy. You mentioned uh, doing something about taking aquas. Many people won't know what that is. Could you just say a word or two about what that is and how that works for you? Sure. The aquas, uh, it's a short name for the aqua hydration formulas, a, a, a homeopathic complex formula developed uh, in Australia in the 90s. And these are remedies that change the way our hypothalamus, that's a control centre in our brain, uh, responds to our environment and this change helps us reduce production of stress hormones and increase production of neurotransmitters like dopamine, anandamide, serotonin, etc. through the redistribution of fluids around the cell membrane. Now, that's, a, that's a very brief explanation of a very complex subject but they are a powerful homeopathic remedy that I feel are one of the core therapies for recovery and good health. You've given an eloquent list, a specific list of everything that you do. What would happen if you stop doing the things that you just listed? Is, it, is, it, is there a point in time that comes when you can just stop doing all these things? Robert, every day we have a choice to make. We can choose to live a life that is healthy or a life that is unhealthy. And this is the case whether we've been diagnosed with some form of disorder or not. We still have that choice. I choose to live a life that will enhance my health. If I made a different choice, if I made choices such as I made prior to my collapse, uh, working long, silly hours, uh, allowing myself to be stressed out, eating bad food, drinking too much coffee, um, focusing on negatives, then I'd get sick. I don't know what particular form that illness might take, whether I would develop symptoms of Parkinson's again, whether I would develop something like a, a cancer uh, or Crohn's disease or diabetes, I don't know, but I am certain 
that I would get sick. Occasionally I forget about being healthy and I dedicate myself to my clients and I work longer hours than I should and perhaps I don't exercise as much or I eat on the run and then my body reacts by saying, slow down, I'll get a headache, I'll feel really tired, maybe I'll feel unwell and that's a reminder to me to make different choices, to spend a bit of time out, meditate, walk, eat some better food, drink more water and then I can feel my health returning. So I have a choice every day as we all do to live healthy or live sick. I choose to live well. I have a, a short list of symptoms that I want to ask you about, and the question for each of them is, is there anything in particular that you recommend to your patients about each of these symptoms? And the first one on my list is pain. Okay, depending on the source and type of pain, helpful remedies may be magnesium powders, bone therapy, homeopathic remedies, exercise, laughter, water and sleep. But you know, pain is a very individual symptom and can occur in many forms in many areas of our body. So we need to understand what the pain is, what type of pain it is, where is it located and what is causing it before getting too enthusiastic about a remedy. For instance, Many people come to me and say they have constant headaches and really often all they have to do is increase their water intake from zero to three or four glasses a day and the headache goes away. Um, but there are other uh, sources of pain or other types of pain associated with neurological changes and that requires um, working with our total health until the pain goes away as a natural consequence of becoming healthier. Sorry, it's not a specific answer, but it's a very individual um, challenge. How about anxiety? Anxiety usually occurs because there is something for us to be worried about and we're not sure how to deal with it. Um, some remedies that can help with this sort of situation are fluorescences. Uh, a homeopathic remedy called Trauma Post Trauma and that's made in Australia and available readily. Uh, some herbal remedies and some nutritional supplements can help. Um, but often we can reduce or eliminate the anxiety through self-help like meditation or visualisation, um, playing a situation that makes us anxious anxious with a positive outcome or we may require some help from counsellors um, or kinesiologists or uh, some body workers. Anxiety always has a reason and we need to find the reason to deal with that. How about inability to sleep? Now this is a difficult challenge for those of us with uh, Parkinson's disease symptoms. Um, our poor sleep pattern can result from pain, restlessness, uh, a neurotransmitter imbalance between serotonin and melatonin, um, 
adrenal stimulation, lack of exercise or lack of fresh air. You know, it seems weird sometimes because we can, in fact we often do, feel really tired to the point of exhaustion and yet we go to bed and can't go to sleep or else we go to sleep and wake frequently. Some of the things that can help are um, meditation before bed, say 10 minutes, and there are some really good CDs to help that if, if we need that, and some of them can simply be played softly in the bedroom, or some can be listened to through stereo headphones. Magnesium powder taken after dinner sometimes helps settle restlessness so that we go to sleep easier. Um, homeopathic magnesium phosphate or some other homeopathic remedies like coffee or chamomilla can help with sleep. Uh, herbal mixtures like uh, passionflower hops to make a dogwood can all help. One of the important aspects of this is to not become worried or anxious about the lack of sleep because that then sets up a negative feedback pattern and our sleep pattern becomes even worse. We need to move around during the day as much as we can, uh, particularly if we can get outside, that's good, so keep physically active. We need to get as much fresh air as we can. Make sure we do some stretches before bed to relax our muscles. So often we'll sit all evening and then get up and go to bed and their muscles have got quite tight and short so we can't get comfortable. If we do some stretching, uh, Pilates stretching or yoga stretching or simple stretching before bed, that will often help our muscles relax better. And it's also really important not to just turn off the television and go to bed. Television stimulates bursts of neurotransmitters in our brain that sets up a sort of a chattery situation. So if we just switch off the television and go to bed, our mind is still chattery. So it's important to have a 10 minutes or so of quiet time uh, after we've switched off the television before we go to bed and go to sleep. What about depression? Well, most depression is misdiagnosed, in my opinion. I feel that most people with Parkinson's disease are not truly depressed, but are anxious about their health and all the negative rubbish they've been told by their doctors and their relatives and their well-meaning friends. I've found that this state of anxiety responds well to activity. Uh, that's regular exercise, yoga, Pilates, Tai Chi, gardening, just getting out there. Uh, other helpful remedies are flower essences and meditation, um, especially meditating with uh, affirmations and visualisation. It's also really important to repair our gastrointestinal tract because a lot of depressive feelings and so-called diagnosed depression results from very poor digestion. If we have poor nutrition, we can't produce the amino acids and the neurotransmitters we need to feel good. So repairing our gastrointestinal tract and eating a really good diet 
constipation? Yeah, well, constipation is very important because it can also um, have something to do with depressive feelings. However, um, in situations like people with Parkinson's, a lot of constipation is created by bowel dehydration. So first we need to drink enough water, which is about 1.5 litres or three pints of water daily. Then we can use supplements like vitamin C and magnesium in powder form because they will help guide water into the stool and soften it and help us to pass it better. And the magnesium encourages peristaltic movement. That's the pulsation of the gut that moves the stool through. Uh, now, if that doesn't work, uh, a, a local naturopath or herbalist could prescribe some nice liquid herbs that will often help, and sometimes that's all that's needed. Sometimes often just drop doses or three mil or so of herbal remedies. Um, if necessary, small amounts of fruit laxatives that you can get from the health food sections of supermarkets or local health food stores, we have a laxative called Nulax in Australia, which is simply compressed fruit. And that can help, although I would recommend that we don't become reliant on that. Exercise is very important. And um, exercise like walking, cycling, um, crawling, uh, it all helps to move the stool along and get peristalsis working again. And there are some specific bone therapy moves that can help. I know there are some yoga poses that are intended to move um, fecal matter. And I, from experience, I know that some of the Pilates stretches and exercises will also help the bowel function. And what about tremors? Now, I actually don't worry about tremor. I know a lot of people do, but I believe tremor is just a superficial symptom indicating that our body is uncomfortable. Now, I'm certain that anyone aware of their body responses notice that when they're calm and peaceful, their tremor reduces or perhaps goes away entirely. When they're anxious or stressed, their tremor gets worse. So this is showing us the fluctuating production of stress hormones from the adrenal glands, and they influence the production of dopamine, serotonin, anandamide, etc., which influence our tremor. Um, meditation will certainly help. Laughter will help. Regular exercise will help. They'll all reduce our tendency to tremor. Bone therapy can help us too. Um, and again, getting our general health well will reduce our tendency to tremor. My major advice is don't worry about your tremor. Get well, then the tremor will disappear. When I talk about Parkinson's and Parkinson's support groups, I always get around to telling your story about your recovery. And at one of my recent talks, a man said, uh, oh, I don't think John Coleman ever had Parkinson's to begin with because 
no one ever recovers from Parkinson's. Is it possible this man is right and you were misdiagnosed in 1995? Okay, to answer that question fully, uh, I need to explain what Parkinson's disease is and also how it's diagnosed and then we can understand it. Now, Parkinson's is a collection of symptoms, first described by James Parkinson in 1817 and then expanded by researchers over the following 190 years. Now, while we tend to focus on well-known symptoms like the tremor, slow movements, or the mask-like face, there are many other symptoms that result in the diagnosis of Parkinson's disease. And it's interesting that only about 60% of those diagnosed have a tremor. We're diagnosed with Parkinson's disease if we display an accepted group of symptoms that seem to be Parkinson's, the onset of those symptoms is reasonably slow and unilateral, and there's no other explanation for those symptoms. So in 1995, I displayed all the major symptoms of Parkinson's, plus many minor symptoms identified as part of this disorder. My symptoms included tremor with pill rolling, and that's a very significant uh, hallmark of Parkinson's tremor. I had a masked face, a festinating walk, slow movements, freezing, and the symptoms had come on unilateral, um, unilaterally prior to spreading to the other side of my body, but they were still more prominent on my right side. And they come on over a long period of time, as I explained, from my teens. All these, with many other symptoms, pointed to Parkinson's. So a number of examinations followed that. Um, a physician at my hospital gave me a very thorough workup, and that included coordination tests, uh, speech tests, hearing, reflexes, and so on. He recognised Parkinson's and referred me to a professor of neurology. Now the professor took five months and a number of visits before he actually was willing to give me a good examination. However, in the meantime, I had an MRI scan that showed that I had no stroke, no tumour, no MS, no ALS, uh, or any other explanation for the symptoms uh, that we could discern. I was tested for Wilson's disease, and in my history there was no contact with any chemicals or drugs that could create all these symptoms of Parkinson's. In the, during the five months of my visits to the professor of neurology, I visited a neurosurgeon who I thought might be able to help me, and he gave me a very thorough examination, checked my MRI, checked my history, um, did all the neuro tests of coordination, etc., and in the end just said, well, you have Parkinson's, unequivocally. Now, he'd worked in theatre with me for uh, operating theatre, that is, for two years, and he knew me pretty well. Uh, we had quite a respect for each other. So he understood that I was a pretty fred-on-the-ground sort of guy and that this was a real disorder. And all his examinations said Parkinson's. 
later on, as I say, five months after my first visit, I went back to the professor of neurology who then examined me thoroughly, checked my history again, checked the MRI again and said, oh, yes, I think it's advanced Parkinson's disease with early stage multisystem atrophy. Now, Robert, that's as good as it gets with diagnosis. There's no specific test or biopsy that can say we have Parkinson's disease. A diagnosis is always the best guess the doctors can make given the circumstances. So, for instance, there's no hard proof that Michael J. Fox has Parkinson's disease or Muhammad Ali or anybody at the Parkinson's support groups that you visit. The process of diagnosis for them is the same as it was for me, ending in an educated guess that we have this set of symptoms that we choose to call Parkinson's disease. Now, doctors use two other diagnostic criteria that are actually self-serving, and your um, gentleman at the support group used one of those criteria. But the first one is a good response to levodopa drugs. However, not everyone diagnosed with Parkinson's has a good response to levodopa drugs and yet they're still diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. And sometimes, in fact in many cases now, doctors will not prescribe levodopa drugs and yet still diagnose Parkinson's disease. Um, the interesting thing is that if we take Parkinson's drugs long enough, will develop the symptoms of Parkinson's disease anyway because that's what the drugs do. The other criteria they use is failure to get well and continue to generation. Now, that's very self-serving because that means if somebody gets well, all they need to do is say, well, they must have been misdiagnosed. But it's not many years ago that doctors were saying that about people who recovered from so-called incurable cancer, and yet they continue to recover. And now oncologists understand that they, people can genuinely have what may be thought to be incurable cancer, and yet through their own efforts become well. We now know from a huge amount of research, not just mine, but research by people like Gojev Viktorov, uh, Gabor Mate, Norman Deutsch, that people can, by understanding the process of Parkinson's, can make changes that will reverse this process. So the short answer is no, I'm certain that the diagnosis was correct and I'm certain that I have recovered. What's the most important thing you want people to know who have Parkinson's? I want to say to everyone diagnosed with Parkinson's, it's your life, your body, and your symptoms. Take control and change things. You can choose to live a healthier life. When you do, your body will become healthier. Don't listen to anyone who says you can't. In fact, delete can't from your vocabulary. You can change if you choose to, and healthy changes will make you healthier.
What was your recovery like once you started on the road to recovery, doing all the things that you talked about? Did you get a little bit better every single day, or there were periods of time when you actually felt worse? Well, for me, it was a staggering, stumbling time of recovery, discovery, loss, joyfulness, anxiety, despair, and sometimes hopelessness. Uh, I would start one thing that seemed to help, but then I'd find that it didn't help. Or I would try something else that set me back. I seemed to make slow, fluctuating, but okay progress through to the mid of 1996. Then I had a huge setback. Um, I had back spasm and uh, it was thrown into just incredible despair. But I clawed my way back out of that and made very fluctuating progress through to the middle of 1997. Uh, by that time I was able to speak reasonably coherently and walk reasonably well, didn't fall too often. Um, but in the middle of 1997 again I had a really huge setback that sent me into black despair and I really contemplated ending it all at that stage. But then uh, I eventually discovered the aquahydration formula's bone therapy combination and I found that that supported all the other things I was doing like my daily meditation, the counselling I was having, the, the self-affirmations, my stretching and so on and so that gave me real hope and remember I'd also kept journals right through the time um, intuitively I'd started keeping a journal uh, within a couple of weeks of my collapse and uh, I think initially because I wanted my son to have some sort of record of this part of my life and when I read back on my journals, I could see that no matter how stumbling and, and uncertain it seemed, I actually was making some progress towards better health. What about your patients? What's their experience been like? Well, I have to say it's been a bit easier for them because I made a lot of the mistakes for them. I was my own guinea pig. However, their health still fluctuates a lot uh, because we are very much influenced by what's happening around us in every aspect of our life. You know, life is not a flat line or a straight path and any changes we make in how we live will have ups and downs and uncertainties and they affect our symptom expression. So my patients... Uh, some of them have had times of great, fantastic progress um, with big letdowns and then struggled back up. Uh, some have had more gentle fluctuations, but the easier part for them, I guess, is that they can call me and they have each other. There are some patients setting up networks uh, that they can talk to each other and support each other through this uh, progress towards better health. 
Now, among the patients of yours, how many are getting relief from their symptoms? How many have been able to see a full relief from their symptoms? What's been the experience? Now, the last detailed survey we did was in 2004, uh, mainly because it takes a lot of time and money to do these detailed surveys. But that data from 2004 shows that just under 95% of patients were benefiting from the flexible protocol that I advise. Now, that benefit varied from getting slightly better, so around 10%, to getting much better, around 80%. Uh, many of those people were able to reduce their Western medication or, in a couple of cases, even cease medication altogether and have more robust health. Only four people, uh, other than myself, have fully recovered to the extent that they have absolutely no symptoms. And that's disappointing. However, we do tend to achieve the health that we expect to achieve. And many people still believe that they can only get a bit better, so that's what they do. And many people say to me, if I don't get any worse, I'll be happy. And so what happens is they tend to stay the same. They don't get any worse and they don't get any better because that's what they're expecting and that's what they're aiming for. Uh, I'm doing some research now which uh, hopefully will enhance that, but as I say, we're getting good results. I would like to see better. Does a person have to make any lifestyle changes to recover? Yes. Unequivocally, yes. You know, there's an old saying that if you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you've always got. Our old lifestyle helped make us sick. So we have to change our old lifestyle if we're going to get well. We have to change everything. The way we think, the way we live, the way we relate to the world and to the people around us. Yes, we have to change. It took you three and a half years, give or take, uh, to recover. That's a long time to sustain hope. How in the world did you do it? I didn't always have hope, Robert. Sometimes I got lost in the misery of my existence and I just wanted to end it. But I had a dream to finish my naturopathic studies before I died. And that seems melodramatic, but that was really it. I'd never finished any form of education in my life. I'd left school early. I'd started some courses, but through either lack of motivation or lack of uh, opportunity, I'd not been able to finish. And I desperately wanted to finish this one qualification, even if it was the last thing I did. So I kept clawing my way back to functional existence. Now, my journals were very valuable in showing me that over three months or six months or 12 months, I was actually showing a trend towards better health, and that helped keep me going too. Another point that was in my favour, although it didn't seem to at the time, was that I lived virtually alone. I actually shared a house 
with uh, another person who lived up one end of the house and I lived at the other end of the house and we had very little contact. So I was virtually living on my own. So I had to do everything for myself. If I was hungry, I had to get the food. If I was dirty, I had to wash. If I needed anything, I had to get it for myself. So that spurred me on to learning how to do it, redeveloping skills and redeveloping strength. So over time I got to know that I could do some things and I kept building on that. But I've often said to people, my recovery resulted in approximately equal parts of dedication, meditation, hydration and desperation. Of the patients that you see, about what proportion are unwilling to make the lifestyle changes that are necessary to recover? Well, I think we have to face the fact that about 80% of the population do not want to take any responsibility for their health. They want a doctor or another practitioner to give them some form of medicine to take the symptoms away, and that's as far as they're willing to go. Of those who make the effort, and it's a courageous effort, to contact me initially, about 50% drop out pretty quickly because they're unwilling to change a lifetime of bad habits. They even try to negotiate with me. They'll say, can I have just two coffees a day? Is it okay if I have donuts for morning tea? Isn't it? It's okay, isn't it? I can't give up my cheese. Anything else, but I can't give up my teeth. They're prepared to take some drops, have some bone therapy, exercise a bit, maybe tweak their diet a little bit, but they won't give up their most poisonous habits, like colouring their hair, using nail polish, cleaning toilets with, with strong bleach, spraying their garden with herbicides or pesticides. They're not prepared to change that. Some people face real opposition from their families, siblings, children, partners. Sometimes they're not willing to support the changes required, so make it too hard for their loved ones to recover. Sometimes a family member being ill satisfies some sort of need in them, and sometimes they're just selfish. For instance, one of my patients had to stop seeing me because his wife insisted on new curtains for the lounge room and he couldn't afford both. Now, my reward is the small percentage of people who become dedicated to their health and I see them blossom in all aspects of their lives. And I have patients who never need to see me again, yet they keep in contact just to say, hi, I'm still doing well, and that's very rewarding. Do you do individual consultations? Yes. Um, Now, I see people in my clinic in Melbourne. Uh, For those in other parts of Australia or other countries, there are two options. Uh, Firstly, I have a fairly new mentoring program via a website called www.parkinsonsrecoveryprogram.com. And this provides weekly e-classes to guide members through all the activities, remedies and therapies that can help them get well. The other option is to contact me by email or telephone 
and we do what I call a male consultation, that's an M-A-I-L. I provide an extensive questionnaire for completion that I then assess and provide a guidebook plus individual advice and prescriptions. It's a bit cumbersome, but it's worked uh, pretty well over the last um, eight or nine years uh, before we began our mentoring program. The easiest way for people outside Australia to contact me is via my website, uh, www.returntostillness.com.au or email me at pdfree at returntostillness.com.au or if they want to telephone, it's uh, plus 613-9820-9048. And if people join your mentoring recovering program, is that something that lasts six months, a year, two years, or is it flexible? How does that work exactly? Uh, well, it's, it's flexible. It's designed to last uh, a 12-month period, getting weekly lessons, so 52 classes. Um, but of course people can join up and drop out at any point that, that they uh, choose. Um, I'm hopeful that once people are on the road to recovery they'll understand that this is a progressive uh, service and they can keep on going. Now once they've attained the 52 e-classes of course they had them for life so they can keep on going back and referring to them without requiring any further uh, payments. Uh, what we cover, uh, the causes and development of Parkinson's, how the disorder affects our body and our cells and cell interaction, uh, all the self-help strategies that we talk about, food, what helps us, what harms us, remedies, therapies, managing medication, relating to health practitioners, gaining support from family and friends, exercise and all those aspects of uh, the journey. And there's quite a bit of free content on the site, so anyone interested can go and get a good look at uh, and a bit of a taste of what, they, what we offer before they sign up. I do want to emphasise, though, that health is an individual responsibility. My way is not the only way to recover from Parkinson's or to be well. It happens to be one way that's been proven because several people have recovered and many are becoming well. But it's a very individual choice and I think every individual needs to ask a lot of questions, do a lot of research. Uh, yes, it's good to be sceptical, but in the end, choose what resonates with them, feels right, and then dedicate themselves to the process of becoming well and expressing their uh, innate joyfulness and beauty. John, this has been a fascinating discussion. I want to thank you uh, from the bottom of my heart for talking with us today. It's been a real pleasure, Robert. I'm, I'm so happy that you're giving people the opportunity to get some of my experience and, and to perhaps look at their health in another way and I am here um, for the next few years to talk to anyone who wishes to contact me and I will help in every way I can. And that's what's happening on the shores of the Puget Sound where all the women are smart, 
all the men are handsome, and all the children are truly loved. No, that by virtue of the fact that literally you are listening to this program, you are on the road to recovery. 